Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, July the 14th, 2022. This show will be rebroadcast on Monday, July the 18th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 115th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis on the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. Tonight, we are truly blessed with a statesman of our government, former senator, state senator from Virginia, Colonel Richard Black, Vietnam War veteran, a licensed attorney who is one of the very few voices that spoke truth to power when it came to the misrepresentations of our role in Syria. So please stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos. Very excited to share with you an eminently important guest that we'll be introducing shortly. But today is July 14th. 2022. It is a Thursday, and we are pre-taping a show that will air this Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. in Austin, Texas on July 18th, 2022. So before I introduce our very special guest, I wanted to frame our interview and dialogue with the following considerations. There are contradictions that occur in the misrepresentation of our foreign policy that we forget very quickly. We forgot about the lies that took us to the war in Iraq. We forgot the lies that took us to the war in Libya. And one of the things bringing light into darkness has covered over the years are the contradictions and the misrepresentations surrounding the Syrian intervention that has now taken close to 500,000 lives that traditionally is indicated that began in 2011. But as we have detailed on previous shows, this is a false premise. As our involvement, destabilizing involvement, began in Syria well before that. And I remember Lieutenant General Michael Flynn in the eye of the storm of this Trump deal and the hatred that the Obama administration had towards him. And I wanted to share, and we've shared this on the show before, but now we have a guest that can really speak truth and experience to frame this even better for us. But Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was the former head of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, the DIA, and a commander of, of JSOC, 
the ghost military unit whose squads hunted down al-Qaeda in Iraq and Afghanistan all the way to Osama bin Laden's compound in Pakistan. And there was a classified DIA report that was presented during the Obama administration. And Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State up through 2013. And so this report would have come out at or about her time. And then was followed by Secretary of State John Kerry, a tenure from 2013 to 2017. But the classified DIA report that was presented in August 2012 and declassified for the rest of us in 2015 stated, and I quote, the Salafists, the Muslim Brotherhood, the Al-Qaeda in Iraq are the major forces driving the insurgency in Syria, are being supported by the West, by the Gulf countries in Turkey. And this document was declassified in 2015, which is when John Kerry would have been the Secretary of State. And it was done so through the Freedom of Information Act that analyzed the situation in Syria in the summer of 2012. And it predicted if the situation unravels, there is a possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria, driven by al-Qaeda forces. And this is exactly what the supporting powers of the opposition want in order to to isolate the Syrian regime. The classified DIA report goes on to say and warn of dire consequences of the scenario because it would allow al-Qaeda to regain its positions in Iraq, unify the jihadist Sunni forces in Iraq, Syria, and the rest of the Sunnis in the Arab world against all other Muslim minorities that they consider dissenters. And then finally, unlike the United States State Department, which rushed to label the declassified DIA report unimportant, Al Jazeera noted that Lieutenant General Flynn became the highest ranking intelligence officer to go on record saying the United States and other U.S. allied states, notably Turkey and the Gulf Arab states, were sponsoring al-Qaeda-led rebels in Syria with political support and weapons in an attempt to overthrow President Bashar al-Assad. So the point of this first formally classified documentation and its content is to indicate clearly by 2012, we knew that the main forces driving the insurgency in Syria against Assad were not democratic Syrian interests, but were driven by al-Qaeda forces that were behind the, the insurgency. Moreover, according to WikiLeaks cables, that were released, and one dated as early as 2006, entitled Influencing the Syrian Government in the End of 2006, there's clear evidence of the United States foreign policy destabilizing the Syrian government. But instead, in a UN speech on September 28, 2015, Obama revises the historical record by saying, quote, let's remember how this started. Referring to 2011, Assad reacted to peaceful protests by escalating repression and killing that in turn created the environment for the current strife, end quote. This is a lie, as we have shown, but it is important to deconstruct this propaganda to show the deceitful impact on the U.S. public. It is in reality, as we will show, a rewriting of history in order to brainwash the Western public away from the truth that, in fact, no, the 2011 demonstrations, this is not how the Syrian conflict started. This is not what prompted U.S. intervention and concern. 
that no, this is not what led to the current strife, which today has led directly to some 400 to 500,000 Syrian deaths. Instead, arguably, it is this manufactured false narrative that blinds us from the truth that the Syrian humanitarian disaster is instead a much more direct causal result, not of Assad policies, but of the execution of the U.S. foreign policy intent and intent of the most powerful nation of the world, the United States, a truth that we have documented in past episodes of Bringing Light into Darkness, and which we return to tonight to further document with our special guest. So when President Obama indicated, as he did in a September 28, 2015 UN speech, that Syria started it by its suppression of demonstrations in 2011, that was a bald-faced lie. We were already destabilizing Syria at least five years earlier. What our cables revealed was that as much as $6 million had been funneled into Syria since 2006 to destabilize the Assad government through a group of Syrian exiles in London known as the Movement for Justice and Development. The group is connected or was connected to a London-based satellite television station that is a broadcast in Syria known as Barada, B-A-R-A-D-A TV, which had recently expanded its coverage to include the mass protests. Several other civil society initiatives in Syria also received secret U.S. funding. But by 2009, the U.S. officials were increasingly concerned that the Syrian government had discovered the U.S. funding. So the point here is just as the Wesley Clark 2002 revelations about the seven countries that we were going to overthrow as early as back in 2002 included Syria, these cables indicate our destabilizing efforts and attempts to overthrow Assad were well underway, way before the 2011 propaganda rationale that Assad was killing his own people. Anyhow, with that introduction, I wanted to formally welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness, Senator and Colonel and Republican lawmaker and legal expert who twice visited Syria and Assad in April of 2016 and in September of 2018, and that would be Richard Black. So Senator Black or Colonel Black, first of all, Thank you so much for making time to visit with us today. Well, thank you for having me on. I just need to say, I've been following your work for a long time, been trying to track you down, and finally, through the Schiller Institute, was able to do so. There was a speech that you shared at the Schiller Institute back in June 21st of 2021 that I wanted to highlight, because I think the substantial and neglected fact that the major forces fighting against the Assad government and to this day, not just since 2011, but to this day, have been al-Qaeda. Seems like a conspiracy theory, but even as recent as about a year ago, rootclaim.org, which is a group that looked at the sarin gas attack that we also blamed on Assad, the major one, there was a number of them, but the main one was the August 2013 sarin gas attack. They collated all the open data that has been out there that we came across as well in real time that questioned the certainty that John Kerry claimed Assad was responsible for. And they came up with a finding 
that with 96.4% certainty that it was not the Assad government, but the U.S. supported opposition, namely these jihadists that executed the horrific gas attack. So those two issues and the demonization of Assad and Syria, maybe I can ask you to start. Can you share a little bit first about your own history in the service? I know you were in Vietnam, which is a very important part, part of my life. I had friends that were drafted and I was not. But can you share a little bit about your military history as a lawyer, your legal history when you became a lawyer and how that served you in your analysis of these types of events and particularly your perspective of this very well-documented claim and reality that our allies, our armies fighting the Assad government were overwhelmingly thousands of foreign fighting jihadists, terrorists, and your remarks that are connected to that of last June, if you remember them. Yeah, let me let me give you a little background. I had a very interesting upbringing because I had a, uh, a very, very brilliant left-wing uh, uncle, and I had a, a very conservative right-wing father. The two of them loved one another dearly. I mean, they were so tight as brothers. So we would get together just about every week, and there were discussions. So this is when I was a little boy. I was, oh, I would be six, eight, ten years old. So I would listen to the discussions between the, the very left-wing uncle, who I loved, and, and very, very conservative father, whom I loved. And because of their, they had tr- a tremendous intellect. These were brilliant men. And be- because they had a great love for one another, their discussions were always courteous and fact-based. And so I would listen to the left-wing view of things. And then I would hear the right-wing view of things, but it was always in a very courteous fashion. So it was a tremendous atmosphere for learning. And the conversations dealt with politics, with foreign policy, with science in some cases, uh, very interesting. So one time during the uh, Korean War, And so I was, I don't know whether I was eight years old or something like that. As we were breaking up, I left, I went out on the breezeway. Back then they didn't have air conditioning. So they had a breezeway and the window was open and there was a radio playing. And so I was just alone in the darkness by myself and listening to the radio. And there was discussion about casualty figures from the Korean War and about the the various political aspects of the war and the troop movements and things like that. And I just stood there alone, contemplating the enormity of what was going on across the world. And like I say, I was probably eight years old at the time. I have had a tremendous interest in politics and foreign affairs, military affairs, economics, science, it goes on and on. But uh, my interest in foreign and military affairs really was quite activated by that moment of silence listening to the radio reports from Korea. Now, I ended up going into the military and 
I went to Vietnam as a Marine helicopter pilot. I was a second lieutenant. I flew 269 combat missions. My helicopter was hit by ground fire on four of those missions. And then while we were flying off aircraft carriers in the Philippine Islands, they asked if someone would volunteer to fight on the ground with the 1st Marine Division out of Da Nang. And I immediately uh, volunteered for that. So I fought on the ground in 70 very bloody combat patrols with the 1st Marine Division. And on my last patrol, uh, we were trying to rescue a surrounded Marine outpost. We conducted a riverboat, an assault in, in rubber boats. And then as we attacked on the other side, I was wounded and both of my radio men were killed right beside me. So I come at this, you know, not as a sort of an anti-war activist, but as someone who has a very clear view of what's going on in, in military and foreign affairs. So after Vietnam, later I was a, a flight instructor, a Marine company commander of engineers, and then decided I'd better get back to school because I, I didn't have a college degree yet. So I went back to University of Florida and completed a, a business degree in accounting and then a law degree. And after that, I, I ended up going back into the U.S. Army JAG Corps and spent a considerable career as a as prosecutor, staff judge advocate, and eventually I was the chief of the criminal law division at the Pentagon. And Senator Black, just for our audience, the JAG, J-A-G, what does that stand for, just the legal name of that? Yeah, it's, it's the Judge Advocate General Corps, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it basically is the, the organization that carries out all legal activities of the Department of Defense. So it's, it's got a large criminal law function, but also they do federal litigation, they do environmental law, uh, administrative law, international law. And so in several assignments, I ran these legal offices and they would have anywhere from 25 to 40 attorneys, plus all of the other staff, the court reporters and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it was, it was great background of, of law and foreign policy. Interestingly, i you know, I had a top secret, very high security clearance, and the intelligence people used to come into my office, they'd bring in the black book of, of secret intelligence, and they would scan the entire office for bugs, they'd close all of the blinds, and then someone would sit several feet directly in front of me, pull up a chair to make sure that I didn't somehow take something out of this secret book. But interestingly, I practiced something called open source intelligence. And during the years that that I had this very high security clearance, I would go through that book and I never in any single instance read anything that I did not know ahead of time. So if you are a prodigious reader and you have the ability to consume things, whether it's about energy policy, whether it's about the chemical industry, whether it's about military, foreign affairs. If you can do that, you can assemble information that is oftentimes 
superior to what some of our diplomats have out on the on the front lines. Yeah, you know, that's really what intrigues me so much about your communication style or what you communicate and the way you communicate that we're going to get to shortly and or, or whatever, but namely that as an attorney, you've been affected in a way that you come from a fact-based evidentiary presentation model. And I think this is like really important because criminals, you know, they do not intentionally leave behind evidence that they perpetuated a crime or lied to the American public or whatever. And I think that's really what our foreign policy and and the CIA supportive thing that kind of goes on that we'll be talking about and how the the public has been misled but there are contradictions that form the substrate and or are the essence of deductive reasoning, right, that are so important. So they're not going to leave absolute truths behind. The deception is there for a reason, but just deductive reasoning and the way you present things in your presentations are really important. And so when you say that this open source intelligence you say it's it's out there if you study hard and you look at things and you know it just seems like you find these contradictions i certainly have over the 20 years that i've been involved with this show and stuff and it is very very intriguing to me and then it it also proves over the years when you follow your heart in that manner it generally gets you much closer to the truth than you know reading the media reports or those types of things i didn't mean to interrupt you but i find that very interesting what you just said yeah, well, perhaps we can launch right into the discussion about Syria. Just to give you a little background, uh, now I I served 32 years. I ended up uh, in the Pentagon where I was preparing executive orders for the president's signature. I was providing advice, legal advice to the Senate Armed Services Committee, testifying before Congress on several occasions. So after, after I retired, I remained very active. And I've always had an interest in the energy markets. So I had been responsible for all military justice actions in the Middle East and Africa when I was stationed as part of NATO during the Cold War over in Germany. So I had an interest in North Africa and the Middle East. So when we attacked Libya, I was intrigued by it because I knew that We had had some problems with Libya in the past, but they had all been resolved. And Muammar Gaddafi was very influential in the country, and he was extremely anti-terrorist. Libya was not a good place for terrorists to reside at the time. And Gaddafi was extremely popular with his people. He was providing housing. It was just amazing what was happening in Libya. Then we attacked Libya, and I thought, well, this is intriguing. Here's one of our closest allies in the war on terror. It's a country that uh, has been cooperating in every way. It's a country that the United States has supplied with enormous quantities of advanced weapons. Why have we decided to attack them? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the excuse given was, well, we're attacking them because they're threatening to put down this revolution in Benghazi, where there were terrorist armies who were rising up and they were murdering the civilian civil servants. 
the people who gave out checks to people on welfare or whatever, and they were throwing them off the rooftops. They were were throwing them down to their deaths. And Senator Black, you're referring to the actual Libyan Islamic fighting group. The LIFG is the very powerful terrorist force that was in that remote area of Libya that they hadn't really cleaned out, I guess, right? That's correct. And now, you know, there are many names used by these various groups, but they're all sort of linked together under the Al-Qaeda umbrella. Mm-hmm. Now, on 9-11, there were 13 men who hijacked the jets that flew into the Pentagon and the Twin Towers. Of course, 3,000 Americans were killed in this really horrific event. Well, here we are 10 years after 9-11, where we were attacked by these men, all of whom were with Al-Qaeda, and we are allying ourselves with Al-Qaeda in Libya. So I track this closely, and I don't want to get too diverted into Libya, but I began looking into why are we doing this? It must have to do with control of the oil markets or something. So I started examining. Well, lo and behold, I began to discover that there are a couple of reasons that we went in to Libya, but the one that's most pertinent to us is that the Central Intelligence Agency and the State Department had plans to overthrow the government of Syria. And they couldn't just go to Congress and say, look, we want to overthrow the government of Syria because they have the most democratic constitution anywhere in the Middle East. They have the greatest women's rights. They have the greatest religious freedom of any country in the Middle East. And they have a balanced budget. They have a wonderful economy. They're not having to drain resources from other countries. And so we want to overthrow them. It, it, just, it just would be difficult to make a presentation like that in Congress. So what they did is one of the major reasons for going into Libya is that Libya had acquired a vast supply, actually an oversupply of weapons. They bought more than they needed because they were trying to keep up good relations with the U.S. So what we were doing and what we did do is we began this terrific air war. It was just an unbridled attack on military and civilian targets throughout the country. We just smashed everything. Every vestige of civilization was destroyed in the country. Uh, Senator Black, if we could, uh, we need to take a pause for the cause. I want to remind you that this is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness, Monday news and analysis. And we'll return with our esteemed guest, Colonel Richard Black, right after this. Don't touch that dial.